0: hey friends welcome to the skyline church podcast i'm jonathan middlebrooks one of the pastors here at skyline church Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. series on spiritual gifts. And we talked last week about the manifestation gifts, and we're kind of clumping them into three groups of three. We have, uh, and and I'll work through that in a second, but we're talking this, uh, in this section of our series about the manifestation gifts, right? We did Romans 12, we did Ephesians, and now we're talking about these gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, which are so important and and, um, many times just ignored, for various reasons that we'll dig into this morning. But um, one of the things I I wanted to do is just talk real briefly before we move into this about the Holy Spirit and why this matters and um, about this idea that Christians are um, designed through salvation to receive experiences with the Holy Spirit that the scripture would call baptism. We call the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an encounter or experience with the Holy Spirit where he meets you in really profound ways And I realized that that language can be controversial depending on where you grew up in the church world, right? Uh, uh, What is that? Does that happen when you get saved? Is it a secondary experience? Is it a one time experience? Is it a multiple time experience? Um, But I, I found one of my favorite descriptions of this comes from this little group of people on a Scottish island of the Hebrides who had a revival in the 1940s, this incredible revival. And he described what he terms the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to read this to you because I think it closely aligns with what I believe this experience is life. He he describes a young man about 15 years old who had this, uh, he says, uh, Donald was his name. Donald had a remarkable experience on the hillside a fortnight after he was born again. So he was born again, and then after that, he had another experience, encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it says, and God came upon him, the Holy Ghost came upon him. You know where you're at in the church world if you use Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. I, I, I love a little Holy Ghost every once in a while. I'm like, ooh, give me some of that old school. The Holy Ghost came upon him. He had a mighty baptism. Really? Baptism is just, he had a mighty immersion, <laughs> right? He had a mighty experience. I, and he says this, the pastor says, I hope you believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a distinct experience. You may disagree, but I believe in it. I don't think that I'm preaching one set of doctrine that insists upon gifts. I'm not thinking of that at all because I believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost in its final analysis is just the revelation of Jesus. I love that. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's the revelation of Jesus. It's Jesus becoming real, wonderful, powerful and dynamic in my life. He expressing himself through my personality, that is the baptism of the Holy Ghost I believe in. So what I believe is that that, that, that baptism was that the Holy Spirit reveals to you Jesus in such a way that it, it blows away whatever you thought about Jesus before, whatever encounters you had before, and he does things where he takes over your mind, body, Spirit, you have encounters that puts you into a different world. John in Revelation says, I was in the spirit on, a third, on the third day, right? Like in the third, uh, uh, on, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and God took me up. He said, come up here. He's like, I had a, an experience with God that was beyond physical. And so the question of that is, is if that's real and that's true and the Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus to us in ways that radically change us. You know, uh, uh, what, what, what does this look like? Because I get a lot of people, it's like, well, is that really necessary in the church, right? Are these, like, what you would call the power gifts, the manifestations, are these necessary? And uh, one writer, he put it this way, he said, the central aim of these gifts is to know firsthand the reality of God. Like, why is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, why is an encounter with the Holy Spirit which reveals Jesus to you, why is it important? Because you need to know firsthand the reality of God. Like, it needs to not just be a story of your parents or grandparents or somewhere back in history where God did certain things. God wants you to have firsthand experience with his power. He is powerful. People who experience these gifts in action have radically different paradigms for viewing reality than those who deny them. That's why it's important, is because Jesus wants to not just save you from your sins, he wants to shift reality for you. He wants you to say there's more to this life than you can see and touch than your physical nature. There is a spiritual realm in which I am king over all, and I want you to come to know me in that way so that my kingdom, which is in heaven, might come to earth. That was his prayer, that not that we would leave here and go there, but that his kingdom would open up and pour out here. That's what following Jesus is all about, paradigm shift, death to light. Life, uh, darkness to light, hatred to love, paradigm shift. I love that. Power manifestations produce paradigm shifts. If you need a paradigm shift in your life, you need to encounter God in his reality. And the church is the mediator of these encounters. This is where it happens. It's fascinating. In Acts 1, Jesus tells the, uh, the apostles, he says, wait. In Jerusalem, until I send my power. And it's fascinating because really, that's, that's an awesome statement. But the question is, what do they do in response to that? Because that really tells us, how do you receive God's power? Whatever they did, position their lives to receive God's power. It says they were all in one place. And what were they doing? They were praying. All together. They went into a room and they worshiped and prayed until power came. So this power that produces paradigm shifts, it makes things things possible in a way that other efforts never could. We can't talk our way into power. And I, I think I shared last week, I, I got to witness a sweet lady try to explain Jesus to somebody with words. And I, just wrote, I, I opened my phone and I wrote on my notes, I said, Christianity explained is way less powerful than Christianity experienced. And I think we've been taught to explain the gospel and we haven't been taught how to open our lives for a demonstration of the gospel where God gets lifted. So in in this way, this author, uh, and it's a really great book. It's called Unlocking Your Giftedness. I highly recommend it. You can find it on Amazon. I can't remember. I think it's like $50 because it's just not being produced anymore. So you're buying these books that nobody reads anymore. And it's two professors at Fuller in like the 1970s did this large study Of the spiritual gifts, and he wrote this. He talks about kind of word gifts, love gifts, and power gifts, right? There's like these speech gifts. There's these gifts that where God pours out his love, and they're beautiful. But he says, normally when we exercise the word gifts and the love gifts, there's no threat, no risk. (laughs) But with every one of the power gifts, it's always a risky venture. Awareness of the supernatural involvement is high on the part of all, the one exercising the gifts and the ones receiving the ministry. And there's always this fear that what we do may not be genuine. It may not be of God. And we ask this question, will God work, right? So your belief in God, your view of God, convictions and reputation are all on the line when you operate in these gifts. Which is why we counsel people, when you start to learn how God uses you in gifts, be really, 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 however many reallys, humble like, humble and gentle. Just be so humble. Oh, I don't know if this is God. I don't know. I could be wrong. You you get all these qualifiers you throw in there just in case you missed it. And he says this. He says it would be safer not to exercise these gifts or to allow them to be used in our situations. Let's just acknowledge it's safer to just preach the Bible and try to follow the rules. It's way safer. And the bummer is so many Western Christians have settled for safety with God. All right? we talked about last week, why do we love golden calves? Because golden calves don't talk back. Golden calves don't convict you of your sin. Golden calves don't tell you to get, like, to, to repent of your sin. I mean, it's just like, so it would be less risky. When he says this, but each time we do and we sense again the fresh touch and reality of God, we know that we must take these risks. We must take the risk of going up the mountain like Moses did. We got to take those risks. We got to take the risk to say, God, I'm going to chase after you. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to experience you, knowing that we may have times that we don't experience it. We don't hear it. We don't feel it. And yet we're like, I'm, I'm not going to stop because life lived in the safety quadrant is not the life that you've called us to. So with that, we're going to dig in. Does that sound good? Yeah. First Corinthians 12. Now, about the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you are influenced and led astray to mute idols. Why do we love mute idols, right? Because they don't talk back. God talks back, right? God will speak to you. If you speak to him, if you're listening, he will speak to you. Therefore, I I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So this is just an easy key at the beginning. Is what's happening in our midst real or fake? The first test is, what is the person doing? What are they saying about Jesus? And what's happening in your heart as as they're doing this ministry? If your heart is going, oh, Jesus is Lord, right? But no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works at all of them and all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. But Paul says this. He says, these are manifestations of the Spirit. They're things that are public displays of that reality of God. He wants you to know that he is God, that he is real, and that he holds power. Right? And we talked last week about the Greek word phanerosis, which really just means like the dancing hand. That's manifestation is literally the word for hand and for strike, <laughs> which is interesting. It's literally God's hand coming upon your life. It's manifestation. It's his power. And where God comes in power, he takes over. He takes over. He takes over rooms and situations. He takes over conversations. He takes over minds. He, take, he can take over your body. He does these things and I get that there's part of us that go like, hold up. <laughs> What's going to happen while you take over my body? You know, it's kind of this thing like, God, what are you going to do like, when you take over? And he's like, the good thing is he's like, I'm good. Trust me. He doesn't give bad gifts. He gives good gifts. If I take over, believe me, it might get awkward, but it will be good. It'll be good. So we have these three things, right? Revelation, power, and speech. And this morning we're going to talk about These power gifts, right? This thing that to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, what does it look like when God shows up in power? And here's the danger, is that many of us have not been raised or discipled in this kind of Christianity. In in supernatural workings of God. We've been trained to read the Bible and obey the rules, and, and I, I know that's not the worst life you could live, right? There's a lot of worse things you could be doing with your life than to read the Bible, know to obey the rules, but it's just not the whole story. Why would we not take the whole story? Mark Sayer said it this way. He said, The elephant in the living room of contemporary Christianity is people's ability to simply sit in church, consume the experience the way one would a great sporting event, a thrilling movie, or an exciting theme park ride, and then to dispose of it totally unchanged at the soul level. It's fascinating when you have friends, if you hear them talk about church, if you just remove the name of their church and put in Six Flags, or a Thunder game, or the OU game, you wouldn't be able to tell what they were describing. It was awesome, that guy's great. You know I mean? it's like the whole thing is about people and places and things. And so we dispose of it. He says they do the same thing as they leave the sanctuary. Sure, they might feel challenged, encouraged, or even moved, but... The horizontal self simply feels the experience and moves on. And so what you know what happens is that starts to train you to do this over and over again to consume podcasts and books and mentorship with people where you feel it and you feel challenged and moved and then you move on. And you just kind of categorize these things where you're just like, oh, that was a cool season. That was a fun thing. I really learned a lot there. And we just kind of move on in these deep wells of, of stuff in our life never get changed. Pride, greed, ego, lust, anger. Like these things never get touched because we kind of feel it at the surface and then we just we let it go. And, and Mark Sayers goes on and this is, this is going to be an ouch for a lot of us, for me, me including, but let's just prepare ourselves. But he says this, in modern culture, worship services become pseudo-media event. <laughs> Church building becomes a theme park. Christian leaders become Christian celebrities. Teaching becomes entertainment. Salvation becomes self-help. Discipleship becomes lifestyle enhancement. The soul becomes self. Church becomes a brand. And the gospel becomes a slogan we add to things. Right? The gospel is not a slogan It's literally the power of God to change our lives. But the gospel's not meant to just be proclaimed. It's meant to be demonstrated. It's meant to be seen. It's meant to break in to places and people. And remember, the gospel is just a word that means good news about something else. So the gospel isn't a thing. So can I I just encourage this? In our generation, I have a lot of friends, like they've replaced the name Jesus with gospel. Well, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and I just keep... I've just been challenging people. You mean Jesus, right? The man. Jesus does these things. His gospel is the announcement about him. So let's not depersonalize these things and make them abstract. We want them to be deeply personal. C.S. Lewis says it this way. The mind which asks for non-miraculous Christianity is the mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. And many of us in this room, we have been raised in the midst of relapse. We have been nurtured in the relapse of Christianity into religion. And yet, revival (laughs) is the process of God bringing you out of that relapse back into connection with his reality. That's why we long for revival because we want to see God become in power who he is who he was, who he will always be, that he has not changed. It's us who have changed. We've changed our relation to him. He has not changed. And so we are desperate for the gifts of the spirit, not because we're seeking experience, but because God promised them to us. He promised them to us. We're not thrill seekers in the kingdom, but we say, God, if you offer it, I want it. Right? Right? If you have it on tap, I'm having it. I want all of it. I want the best you have to offer. I want everything that you promise. Amen? Amen. So these manifestation gifts, so the spirit comes upon people. We know he lives in you. He dwells in your salvation. He's the seal of the promise, but he also can come on to people. And this, the uh, scriptures talk about this thing. And the amazing thing is, which is really cool is this has nothing to do with your status in any way. It's not about how righteous you are. It's not about how rich you are. It's not about how much influence you have. Every single person who calls Jesus Lord has the potential for God's power to flow through them. And in fact, it's actually the opposite of the world. It's the humility of people which attracts His presence the most. He loves humility. But what He does in this, which is really cool, and we talked about this last week, one of the ways we protect our church from the abuses of the gifts is we have to remember we don't own the gifts. The Holy Spirit owns the gifts and he dispenses them. And even if you operate in a certain gift all the time, we have to be really careful how we attribute those gifts to people. We're like, oh, she's just really prophetic. She's so You're like, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit is prophetic. (laughs) You just got to allow it to flow through you. We're nothing. He's everything. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But abide in me and you will not produce fruit even. You will bear fruit. You're literally a tree that fruit hangs off of, (laughs) and God does everything. And you just say, use me. Like, you can flow that through me. So we don't own it. They're not permanent, but they're available all the time. That's the beautiful thing. They're not just available here. They're available everywhere at all times. And yet, they're especially evident in the church because Jesus loves his bride and wants it to be beautiful. So there will always be things available in the community of believers that, that will just be more prevalent, more apparent in ways that they won't be moving out in the world because God loves worship and prayer and where he's honored most. He loves that. So he's just pouring his spirit out most here. So what does this look like, right? Faith. The gift of faith is the supernatural ability to trust God or to inspire trust in God. Isn't this fun? So this gift is not only just for you, it's also for others. Someone who has the gift of faith— um, which, I don't, I don't think he's here this morning, but Gary, Gary Brooks has the gift of faith. And it's, and it's not because he's good, or he's smart, or he's successful. It's because he got desperate for Jesus. And he said, if you'll allow me, I will operate in faith, and I will trust you supernaturally to see you work in my life. And it's for a particular need or circumstance. Sometimes it comes in response to a trial, Or a crisis that would overwhelm a person except that they know God. They're like, if it weren't that I knew who God is, how he works, and that I have a place with him forever, I would never be able to walk in this way in the world. So those things matter and we we live with spiritual eyes. Faith gives you spiritual eyes to see things that you cannot see in worldly ways. So you'd look at your bank account, <laughs> you'd look at your number of friends, you'd look at your own talent, you go, there's no way this could happen in my life but God. But if God's real, and he loves me, and he loves to show his power through human beings, even broken ones like me, there's potential here for this to work out. And again, this isn't just the initial trust in Christ for salvation, but to deeper experiences of faith. Even to the point of martyrdom, right? Martyrdom is like the ultimate act of faith. It's like, God, I will trust you, not just with my life, I will trust you with my death. I'm willing to exit the world because I just have such trust in who you are. Jesus did this. It says, Jesus left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree on the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive what you ask for in prayer. Jesus promises that he responds to faith. Faith attracts Jesus, his power. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. There's another text where Jesus says, When the Son of Man returns, will he find what on the earth? Not will he find purity or sanctification or you know, all these things that we think are so important. He says, Will I find faith on the earth? Will I find people living today expecting my return? Not some way, on the, but they were expecting it today. They were living today as if I was returning today. They were holding an appointment with me today. Faithful. they have. There's faith on the earth. And what we need is we need testimonies of the work of God in our communities to stir this faith. So when we have faith and God works, then what, what does God ask us to do? He asks us to share those stories with people so that he stirs more and more and more faith. And we start to see this force multiplier in people's lives that's faith. What's the next one? The workings of miracles. I love that it's it's plural. It's like there's all kinds of workings and all kinds of miracles that are available through the power of God. And and the workings of miracles is simply the supernatural intervention of God that transcends the natural process in a situation through or with a human vessel. And the Greek word is this word uh, dynamis, right? Which is interesting. It's like dynamite, (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Or It's like dynamic. It's all these words that have this thing that means power. The root of it is power. Acts 1.8 says, wait, why? So that you will receive power. And what's really interesting about this, friends, is Jesus designed his kingdom to advance through people who possess his power. Which means it wasn't meant to advance through people who don't possess it. (laughs) Right? He's like, listen, you need my power and this is really fascinating, because if you could have done it all on, on your own, would he have had to come and die on the cross for you? No, he would have been like, I'll stay here, you guys do it. You know, you're smart, you're good, you know, what is it? you're smart enough, you're good enough, and doggone it, people like you, you'll, you'll do a lot. I'll just stay here, I don't have to die on the cross. No, he's like, you have to have power to do the things I'm asking you to do. And it's this word that means the working, the, uh, the, the Greek word is energema, the energy of God poured into your life. Have you ever met somebody that has the energy of God? You're just like, I don't know, man, this person just has a resource for their life that doesn't come from natural energy. It doesn't come from natural talent. It doesn't come from a supplement or oils or, I don't know, what's new? Like, like, what's the cool thing? It's like, this will change your life. He's like, no, like they have something more operating. It's a specific operation of God where he energizes our life. To do things and encounter things and see things that are not possible through any other way. And we see this in the New Testament. Galatians. Paul says, so again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by your believing what you heard? Or or by believing what you heard? So uh, also Abraham believed in God. It was credited to him in righteousness. But what's great is this shows you in Galatia, there was workings of miracles in this little church. He's like, the Spirit's among you. He's working miracles. Why are you going back to religion? Why are you going back to the law? Why do you think the law can save you? It can't. And you've seen these things. So it's clear that these things were happening in the New Testament church. Hebrews 2 says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he's like, listen, we can't drift away from what? From this work that God does in the church. We don't want to drift away from this power that he has for us. And then the last is 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God's not a matter of talk but of power. If talk could change our situation in this nation right now, in the American church, we would be the most changed church in the world. We have better talk than anybody has ever encountered. And yet, we would all acknowledge things aren't getting better. Talking's not really working. God wants to work miracles. And the last one's the gifts of Healing. Gifts of healings. (laughs) The gifts of healings are various forms of supernatural cure or restoration from illness, diseases, injuries, other impairments. It refers to like physical maladies, but we know there's other kinds of healings. That's why there's plural. We know there's all kinds of things. And the fascinating thing, you think Paul's writing this letter, and he's just off the top of his head listing a, a list of gifts which I don't know. He never says this is exhaustive. This is the only gift that God offers. It's just, he just makes a list. Because God's so big, like who knows what other things God can do that don't fit in this little category of physical healings that God can heal you mentally, emotionally. You I mean, all sorts of stuff that he can do, but it's, it's this healing. It's his action. We see it. Jesus came to Peter's house. Saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When the evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. So there's all kinds of healing happening in the presence of Jesus. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. God um, can and still is supernaturally healing people. And it's something our church has seen pretty significantly, probably in at least the past year, year and a half, but across the board. Um, and, I, and I was actually thinking about it. It's like, I just wanted to kind of like do a little crowdsource poll. All right. So if you have um, prayed for somebody and they've been healed, or you've personally experienced healing, or someone you know has been healed, like let's say in the last year and a half or two years, would you just stand up? Like if you've seen that in your midst. That's a pretty, pretty good crew, right? It's like demonstration of the power of God being poured out in people's lives. Okay, you can sit down. Isn't that amazing? And, and one of these I, I, I love, I, I'll have, uh, Gary, I'll have you share the story sometime, but I was, he shared with me a story of healing uh, of a dream that God gave him of healing. God was healing in the dream and then God did in reality what he did in the dream. And it's like, God, guys, God is real. <laughs> he loves us, and he wants to work on our behalf. And I know that right now, um, all of our little trained objections are going up, right? All our, our little things in our mind are, are happening, and it's this, what about, <laughs> right? It's like, well, what, what about? And I, I just want you to know, um, we're not ignoring that, right? What about, what about the times where God doesn't heal? Right? What about the times where God doesn't do miracles? And, it, and it's this thing where I had to really reconcile in my heart who God is and who God isn't. So one, God isn't a genie. He's not a genie. He doesn't have a lamp that you rub and you say the certain word and you do everything perfect and you get three wishes. He's not a genie. But on the other side, God isn't a human which means if he's not a human, we really struggle to understand his mind. And we, when we apply the mind of a human to the mind of God, we get really sideways. Because we just think, if it were me, how many times are we like, well, if God was good, he would do what I would do. What I think is good. And yet my purview is just of one life. The only mind I know in this world is my own, and I barely even know that one. (laughs) It belongs to me, and I barely understand myself, much less understand all the miracles who are sitting in this room who have their own minds and their own will and their own spirit. And then there's God above it all. How do I understand God? Well, if God's not a human, then God isn't arbitrary. He's not arbitrary. And yet I also don't know how God works and why God works. Because God's not a genie, but what he is is he's a father. Says he's a father, which means our relationship with God is like a loving father who gives their children what he believes is best for them to become the people they need to become to do the things they need to do. And many times good parents say no to their children. Many times good parents allow their children to go through really hard things. So they can learn the better things. And even that, I realize we're all thinking about our own parents now. I'm like, well, yeah, but my dad didn't, you know. And it's like, so so even that metaphor just ultimately fails. Because God's not a human father. Because our human fathers had human fathers whose human fathers had human fathers. And so we're getting the flow of relational history into our lives from two different sides of all of their stuff. God has none of that. (laughs) He's pure and he's holy and he's infinite and he has no creation. And so God has no baggage to deliver into your life. And so in that, we have to think about these things and we have to come to a, a humble, like deeper view of God where mystery is not only embraced, but actually loved. Because right now, I don't, I don't need to know everything that God know, knows and I don't think I want to know everything that God knows. And I get that this idea seems hollow when we're in the pet flesh on the earth and our pain's really real. It feels really hollow. Um, to think about the fact that God um, will heal all of us someday, right? We're all headed towards healing and wholeness and joy. And I get it that when we're in pain on the earth, that just, it just doesn't seem like enough. Some of us get experiences in life of miracles and healings, and others of us will wait until we meet him. And I don't know why. I just don't know why. And the more we try to tell each other why, the worse it gets. (laughs) It doesn't work. So many of you know my story. My first wife, Samantha, was killed in a car accident in 2008. um, And I was in the car with her, and I watched her die on the side of the road. And I don't know why. And I've listened to so many people tell stories of accidents and how God intervened and saved people. And they tell it to me not knowing my story. And I just have to listen and give them grace and just love them and say, Oh, yeah, God's good. That's awesome that he did that. Knowing that if that's true and he did that for them, it meant he didn't do it for me. And to have to take this way of Job who just says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't understand God. I don't pretend to question him. I don't know why, but I know on the other side, I had a man visit me in the hospital as I'm recovering. Um, well, I had two situations. One was, one was fascinating. It was the emergency responder who's been in that, uh, it's outside Glenwood Springs in this canyon. They have lot, just lots of bad car accidents this place. And he said, it's the, it, it was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. He said, when I got to the scene, I just prayed, whoever's in that car didn't get out. And then he said, I, I walked around the side. I saw your car door was open. I knew you got out. And I knew you saw what I saw, and I've just been praying for you all day. I don't know this man from anybody. And I know why God didn't spare me that. I don't know why. Right? This man meets me in the hotel room, or in the hospital room. He's from some other city. Our friends know him. And we're talking about death, and we're talking about pain, and we're talking about loss. And he just made this statement, which is just so random. And he said this. He said, Jonathan, Samantha right now is in God's presence with him. And he said, if "He if he offered her to come back, she would say no." I remember just weeping, and it broke something open in me of thankfulness that God has a plan for every single part of our life. He has a plan in our birth. He has a plan in our life. He has a plan in our death. And every single end result of all of it ends up good. And it's a severe mercy to receive that stuff. Believe me, I've walked it. So I'm not giving you cheap answers here. (laughs) I hold this stuff in reality. And so I know our question is, what about the healings that don't happen? What about the miracles that don't happen? What if God doesn't heal, right? So we're just like, what if God doesn't? And so I feel like I've moved on in faith to like the next question, which is what if I don't? So my question in life is not what if God doesn't heal? My question is what if I don't ask? What does my life look like? If I just give in to low expectations of God and think that if I don't understand what he's doing, I'll just stop asking. I'll stop seeking. I'll stop pursuing. I'll just give in to kind of like cruise control Christianity till I die. And I'm just like, no, no, no. Our church, you know what we've done? We've just started saying, we don't know why God heals or how God heals or when it happens or timing or anything. All we know is he says to ask. That's it. He just says, ask. And I know the more that I ask, the more that I see. And the more that I see, the more faith rises in me. And then it feels like the more God starts to do in my life and around my life and in our church, Chase uh, made a really good point. I'm going to invite the band back up this, this last week. We were talking about healings and miracles and all this stuff. And he said, you know, it's interesting that, that James says, uh, faith without works is dead, right? It's dead. And he goes, it's interesting. That the first time God did, like the Holy Spirit just spoke to him. He's like, what if part of those works, he's saying your faith is dead, is, is without the works of Jesus, <laughs> these miraculous things that Jesus does, our faith is dead. And I know in the text it says, you know, serving the poor, loving the poor, doing those things. But here's what I think. I think... Too many times we think our works are, is just the loving kindness of, of of ours toward other people. And we forget that part of our works are these things where the scripture says, Jesus, like, I want you to walk in these things. And if you have all this faith, but you don't have the demonstration, you won't see the expansion of the kingdom in the way that your heart really wants. Right? Um, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet. And... Uh, I want to just take a moment. And would you just close your eyes and just take a deep breath? And so again, I just want to acknowledge, like, this, this message hits so many of us in so many different ways. And so I know there's many things that God wants to work in. some of us, he wants to work in that um, thing in our heart where we prayed for someone or something and um, we just didn't get what we asked for. And God wants to come in and work and heal that. He wants to work in it. Some of us here this morning are desperate for miracles. Um, for yourself or for your children or for a friend, family member. Some of us just uh, either need healing in our own life physically or we have friends or family who need healing And I get the struggle, which is just like, should I even call someone to pray for this? Or should I just kind of hold it and just accept whatever happens? Um, And so we just want to create some space here to stir faith around this thing. and, And that God can and does do miracles and healing that he can give us the gift of faith and the interesting thing that faith attaches this to these other two things I think is sometimes he gives the gift of faith to people who don't get the miracle and he's just like I just want to give you faith this morning even though you didn't get this other thing that I'm still good, I'm still real, I'm still working and someday I will make all things new